You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Okay, now to the Word. We, uh, as you know, this fall we are moving through uh, the New Testament book of Acts, and today we come to Acts chapter 3. To give you a little context, Peter and John, John uh, Jesus' disciples, uh, are going to the temple, and they encounter a beggar uh, who ha- was born lame, he's been lame from birth, and, and he's there by the temple begging, and uh, God heals this beggar through Peter and John in the name of Jesus, and, uh, you know, he leaps up, he's walking and leaping and praising God, right? It's a great, it's a great uh, scene. And people come running. They come running to, 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 to see what's going on. There's obviously a lot of commotion. And, and Peter uses that occasion to deliver his second sermon. And that's what we're going to focus on today, Peter's second sermon. It's at Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. Uh, Given the length here, I'm going to just ask you to stay seated. Um, If you don't have a Bible, it's in the bulletin for you. Acts 3, starting at verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, that's the, the, the beggar who's just been healed. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name... By faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, 
sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word uh, of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's ask for the Lord's help. Father, may the words of my mouth now and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So this event follows a pattern we're going to see uh, repeating in Acts. We've already seen it. Some extraordinary sign and or wonder is done through the apostles in the name of Jesus. And then the event is explained. So in Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit comes down uh, with signs and wonders and Peter explains it. That's his first sermon. And now uh, on their way to worship, Peter and John, God, God, uh, Jesus heals this lame beggar through them, creates a huge commotion, and Peter explains it, right? His second sermon. Uh, And there's a lot in this sermon, right? As you just heard. But I want to focus on three three truths, three principles, three realities that come out of it, um, that stood out, uh, stand out here. Uh, First, nothing... Nothing can thwart what God wants to do with you and for you. Okay? It's the first one. Nothing can thwart what God wants to do with you and for you. Second, Jesus commands comprehensive confession and caring concern. Comprehensive confession and caring concern. And then finally, third, your allegiance to Jesus leads to the ultimate good life. Okay? So that's where we're going. Uh, First, then, nothing can thwart what God wants to do with and for you. Let me ask you a question. Um, Do you think your mistakes, your sin, your regrets, guilt, shame, bad decisions, do you think those have permanently sidetracked you from the best that God would have for you. Now, if you answered, and Bill answered correctly, but if you answered yes, you'd be wrong. Um, Right? If you look at verses 13 through 17 there, as as Peter's addressing this crowd, uh, he he gets pretty personal, doesn't it? He's he's cataloging the sins uh, of the people he's preaching to. Um, They handed Jesus over to the people that were conspiring to kill him. They denied him when he was on trial before Pontius Pilate. They caused Pilate to change his mind uh, after he had decided to release Jesus, finding no guilt in him. They asked for a murderer to be released instead of Jesus. In the ultimate of ironies, they, uh, they killed the author of life. Verse 15. And they and their leaders acted, all of them acted in culpable ignorance. Uh, that's a pretty bad litany, isn't it, uh, of, of sins made very personal, right? Characterized by that you, that you, you, you. Um, but look what he says next in verse 18. After he, he, he catalogs all these things they did against Jesus that resulted in his death. Um, 
he says in verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. That thus is really important there because that thus links it to their sin, to their sinful actions. Peter is saying that it was through your very sins and ignorance that God fulfilled the prophecies that he spoke through the centuries, through his prophets, the prophecies that this coming Messiah would suffer and that suffering would include dying for the sins of his people, that his people might be forgiven and healed. In other words, God took the worst evil in history, the human killing of the divine author of life, and turned it into the greatest good. That's what Peter's saying. The greatest love, the greatest rescue the world has ever seen or will see. So you see, your sin, friends, does not keep you from God. It opens you up to God. Now that, please, don't hear me as inviting you to sin. All right, God forbid. What I am saying uh, is that we sin. uh, And that sin uh, does not keep you from God nor does it keep God from you, right? It doesn't. It doesn't sidetrack you. Look at verses 19 and 20. Uh, he goes on, right? What do, we, what do we do then? We turn to God, right? We repent. That's in Greek, that means like have a change of mind and, and turn to God. And it, what's he going to do? He's going to blot out your sin. It's a strong word there, um, it, it, uh, it's translated in other places, obliterate. Uh, the idea, the, then, back then, right, with it, the ink would, did not have acid in it and it didn't penetrate into the paper like ours does today. So you could, uh, you know, take a document uh, on which there is ink and literally blot the ink out as if it had never been there. Uh, and that, that's the image. That's what Jesus does to your sin um, if, uh, if you turn to him. Um, why? Be, how, how is he able to do that? Well, because he's, he's t- paid the penalty for them, right? The, the justice has been done for them. And as a result, what he g- gives you is is a is refreshing refreshment right times of refreshing uh, it's an odd expression the word can mean relief it can also mean breathing space interestingly you know, the idea being you know you can kind of you take it you know the, when, when you take a deep breath right and you just you kind of settle in and relax that's what Jesus gives you when he takes away your guilt and, and your sin, relief, breathing space. And, and it comes from Jesus being present in your life. He, he talks about Jesus being present with you, right? Don't think of the gospel as some sort of academic thing or, or some formulaic thing. The gospel is about restoring a relationship, restoring your relationship with the living God. The gospel is about you coming to know Jesus as a living person who is actually with you and for you. Even though you don't see him, 
even though you don't hear him. I know that sounds strange, but go around the world. You'll talk, you can talk to millions of people today. Go through the centuries, back through the centuries, talk to millions of people who will t- look you in the eye and testify, I know Jesus, I know he lives, and I know he's with me, and I know he refreshes me. He gives me relief. Peter says that remarkable thing. He's the one appointed for you. Jesus was appointed for you before the foundation of the world, actually. I mean, that's good news, isn't it? So that's the first thing. Nothing can thwart what God wants to do with you or for you, even the worst of your sin. No matter how badly you've messed up. Okay. Second, Jesus commands comprehensive confession and caring concern. Some of you here... Uh, and I'm speaking primarily to those of you who would not identify as Christians at this point, uh, think you're, uh, you don't think you're guilty enough to need Jesus. Right? You don't understand all this talk about sin. You're good enough. You're not, you're, you're, you're not guilty enough to need Jesus. Others of you think, contrary to what I just said, that, that you're so guilty that Jesus will have no need of you. We know that's not true. But whatever group you're in, here's, here's the real truth. You're actually a lot worse than you think. <laughs> it's really true. Um, the late English uh, pastor and theologian John Stott put it this way, before you can begin to see the cross as something done for you, you have to see the cross as something done by you. Before you see the cross as something done for you, you have to see it as something done by you. That's what Peter was getting at, right? He's saying to the crowd, you denied Jesus, you set him up, you killed him, you put him on the cross. Should have been Barabbas, but you insisted on his release. You put Jesus up there. Now, no doubt there were in that crowd people who were directly involved in the killing of Jesus. But almost certainly as true, there were people in that crowd who weren't. Right? Who weren't there, weren't involved. So was Peter being inaccurate? Was he exaggerating? Was he being unfair? No, he was he's stating a fact. That was true then and it's true now. And that is that we're all responsible. We are all, in a sense, the reason Jesus went to the cross. My sins are the reason Jesus went to the cross. Your sins are the reason Jesus went to the cross. Martin Luther colorfully said it. Uh, he said, we, we, we walk around with the nails of Jesus in our pockets. I think one of the finest pastors in the PCA is a fellow named Joe Novenson. He was my daughter's pastor uh, when she was living in Tennessee. 
And in talking about this passage, he reminded me of something I had read long ago by Becky Pippert. Uh, Becky Pippert, great Christian author and evangelist. She wrote that wonderful book called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. You may remember that book. Uh, in, she, she writes about a meeting, an encounter she had uh, after she spoke at a conference. A woman came up uh, to her. She was sobbing uncontrollably and uh, eventually confessed that years before uh, she had been a uh, youth leader in her church uh, and, uh, and had gotten pregnant uh, out of wedlock. Uh, she was a key leader in, in the youth ministry in this large church. Uh, there had been no scandals, uh, uh, no moral scandals at that church. And, uh, and she was afraid. She was, she was too proud to admit it and too afraid to admit it, her sin. And she ultimately decided to get an abortion, which she did. And, uh, and now it's years later and she's happily married. She had four kids and she's sobbing uncontrollably because she can't live with herself. She's, she's not sure that Jesus can really forgive her for that. She, she, she reflects back on it and she, she goes, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I took an innocent life out of pride and fear. I took an innocent life. She said, I confessed it a thousand times to the Lord and, and I get no relief. All I got is this overwhelming shame. I'm just haunted by it. How could I take an innocent life? And Becky Pippert's listening to this and she's, she's praying while she's listening and, and asking the Lord for wisdom. And What can I say to her that would be helpful? And, and she comes out with this. She said, I don't know why you're so surprised. This isn't the first time your sin has led to death. It's the second when you look at the cross, all of us show up as show up as crucifiers, religious or non-religious, good or bad, aborters or non-aborters. All of us are responsible for the death of the only innocent who ever lived. She knew that woman that she had done something grievously wrong, but what. Becky Pippert showed her is that she'd done even something even more grievously wrong, right? Uh, as have we all, right? This is what I mean by comprehensive confession. Jesus demands that you see yourself for who you really are and own up to it. The question is, are you man enough and woman enough to do it? That's hard. That's daunting. That's humbling. That's uncomfortable. But you know what will encourage you in the way of confession, in the way of recognizing that I'm actually worse than I think? It's looking at the cross. Because while the cross shows how guilty you are, at the same time it shows how deeply forgiven you are, doesn't it? While the cross shows how deeply sinful you are, the cross shows how profoundly loved you are. Jesus. 
out of his love for you, went to the cross, took your sin, and gave you freedom. He took it into his body, killed it on the cross. It's not yours anymore. Okay. Now, if, that's, if, if you've done that, if you're a person who's, who's confessed your sin, you've turned to Jesus, you're now trusting in, in his death for the forgiveness of your sin, there are ramifications of that. You know, you don't just do that and, you know, and then life just goes on as if nothing happened. There are certain consequences. You see, you've been blessed in a, in a huge way, right? Freed, relieved, refreshed, forgiven, loved. And what Peter says here is that you have been blessed to be a blessing to others. Peter gets at that at the, near the end of his sermon as he's, he's, he's sort of tracing through the Old Testament and, 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 and how the Old Testament spoke and predicted the coming of Jesus, right? And, and he goes all the way back to Abraham, Genesis 12, and that promise that was made to Abraham that, you know, Abraham, you're, you're in your offspring, in your offspring, through your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. You see that in verse 25? It comes right out of Genesis 12. And, and friends, that's not just ancient history, right? You and I, mostly Gentile believers here, uh, non-Jewish believers, we have been grafted by, by faith in Jesus, we've been grafted into Israel. And if we are not biological descendants of Abraham, we are, Paul says, spiritual descendants of Abraham. You are, Christian, Abraham's spiritual offspring, which means that you've been blessed in order to be a blessing to every family on the earth. You. Going back to John Stott in his... uh, masterpiece uh, on the cross of Christ, called the cross of Christ. Uh, He wrote, the church tends to become very preoccupied with petty parochial trivia while the needy world outside is waiting. So the son sends us out into the world as the father had sent Jesus into the world. Friends, this is why we're refocusing on mission here refocusing on on our responsibility to be witnesses to testify about the truth of Jesus here here locally as we pray for our friends and our neighbors and around the world right as we deploy missionaries wasn't it a blessing to hear what's going on with Antonio in Durban such a great blessing and we we deploy missionaries like Antonio, from us, and we're going to be deploying, I hope, many of you in, in short-term missions uh, around the world. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a consequence, right? That's, that's on us as, as believers, but there's a consequence for those of you who aren't believers. Peter says in verse 23 that, 
if a person is not listening to that prophet, and when he says that prophet, he's talking about Jesus. Right? Moses had promised that there, in the future a prophet would come like him that would be greater than him. Um, and uh, that was Jesus. And if you're not listening to that prophet, and listening is not just hearing, it's, 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 uh, it's obeying, it's, it's trusting, it's following. Um, if you're not, uh, Peter says here, uh, that person will ultimately be destroyed from the people. I mean, there's no getting around, you know, that's the flip side of the good news. There's, there, there is this potential bad news. Jesus has come to, to give you freedom from your sin, to take your sin from you so it's no longer yours, to be judged in your place. If you reject that, then there will come a time, not, I don't know when, not right now, but there will come a time uh, when you will stand before God and you will be accountable for your sin because it hasn't been taken from you, it hasn't been forgiven you. That's, that it means, you know, destruction. Uh, and that's what's at stake here. I, I just I want to make sure Christians that we understand that not just you people who aren't Christians. I don't know how you're hearing that, but I want the Christians to hear it as a call to caring concern. We've, you know, we weren't saved to sit around and passively enjoy God's blessings. Though there are plenty of TV evangelists who will tell you differently. Don't listen to them. We were saved. You have been saved to actively extend the blessing of the gospel to other people. And the way you do that is testify about the truth of Jesus in your words and in your actions. It's, and you know what frees you up? It's, Peter should free you up here. Right? He, they heal this blind or this lame beggar, right? And they're all looking at him like, whoa. And he goes, why are you looking at us? Right? It wasn't our power or piety that saved this man. Whose power and piety was it? Jesus. And friends, it's not your power or piety that's gonna, that, will, that will move you uh, as to, te- to testify. And it, you, it's, it's Jesus. And you're not saving people. That's the power and piety of Jesus that saves. Our responsibility is to, is to give our testimony as a witness about the power and the piety of Jesus. Right? That's what saves. That's our responsibility. Caring concern. So comprehensive confession, own up to who you are. You're worse than you think. And caring concern. Because we have been relieved of this burden of sin. And there is a world out there that needs that relief. And it's the stakes are life and death. Third, your allegiance to Jesus will ultimately lead to the ultimate good life. 
You know, the healing of the lame man is sort of a snapshot of your future if you're, if you're a Christian. You know, a man born lame, a man born unable to walk. His whole life he's been unable to walk, probably begged his whole life. He does not spontaneously regenerate right into full health. Doesn't happen. Right? Our world doesn't work that way. Right? We, unfortunately, in, in a world that has been infected with sin, live with entropy, don't we? Things tend to break down, not come together, not, not build up. Things tend to, tend to disintegrate. Um, but with the coming of Jesus, the, you know, the kingdoms come. There's a new king on the scene, and there is a kingdom on the move, and it is growing, and, and the principles of this kingdom are anti-entropy. It's all about life giving, life forming, life redeeming. Listen, if Jesus, we're all facing some pretty awful stuff in our lives. We're, we're, a lot of us are facing situations and people that we see, absolutely see no way out, no, no way around, no fix, right? But listen, if Jesus can heal a man born lame, then Jesus can, for example, reverse the consequences of gender reassignment surgery. Jesus can remove the deep psychological scars of, of cutting words and abuse and bullying. Jesus can overcome addictions. Jesus can reverse pollution, unwind climate change, eradicate war, get rid of hunger. He can cure every disease. He can blot out regret, sin, guilt, shame. And Jesus can and in fact already has overcome the final and worst enemy, death itself. But you say, well, that doesn't look like my world. <laughs> and you're right, it, it doesn't. I mean, we see, we see glimmers of it. We see signs of it, but it's not here yet, right? In all of its fullness. That's why Jesus instructs us to pray every day, Lord, cause your kingdom to come. Right? The healing of the lame man is a signpost to a future event, a future reality that Peter in verse 21 calls the time for the restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. There's going to be, in the future, this time of restoration. Until that time, Peter says, Jesus is in heaven. It's necessary for Jesus to be there. And that's where he is. And, and if you die right now in faith in Jesus Christ, that's where you will go to be with Jesus. But Jesus is not going to stay in heaven. And if you die and go there, you're not going to stay there either. You see, he's bringing heaven down and he's bringing you with him. Right? 
at some point in the future, at that time of restoration, Jesus comes down and, and everything that we've just talked about here, this restoration of all things, this, right, legs, lame legs being strengthened, surgeries being undone, diseases being eradicated, hunger being eliminated, tears being wiped away. All that's going to happen. And that's when your good life starts. Your ultimate good life. Right? A flesh and blood life. Flesh and blood life. Right here. On a remade earth. Where everything that is right now sad is going to come untrue. What do we need to do? We need to wait. Wait is almost a synonym for faith, isn't it? We need to wait in neck-craning expectation. Be watchful. Watch for Jesus. Be ready for Him. Watch what He will do. But our waiting is not passive waiting. It's not, it's not the pacing in the waiting room of, at the hospital. No. We wait. And as we wait, remember, we've been blessed to be a blessing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for this word, for this challenge of Peter's sermon. Thank you mostly for your gospel and for all it means to us. Um, we, Lord, help us to see ourselves for who we are and, and, and grow our, our love for our neighbor. Grow our love for people who don't know you and give us the courage and the opportunity to to testify about you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.